The summer before my uh, senior year in college, I went on a mission trip to the Philippines. And uh, the focus of this trip was uh, to kind of experience ministry among the urban poor, uh, to those who were living in the slums of Manila, the capital uh, city of the Philippines. And, and so in preparation uh, for this trip, we read a book that was called Companion to the Poor, Christ in the Urban Slums by um, a man named Viv Grigg. And uh, this man, Viv um, Grigg, he, he wrote in this book about his experience of living among the poor in Manila and then actually later on. Uh, he went to Calcutta, India, and was ministering uh, in the slums there in Calcutta as well. And as I was reading this book, preparing for this, this mission trip, I was deeply affected by it um, as it was kind of beginning to give me a window into some of what we were going to experience um, and see that, that summer. Um, that summer in the Philippines was an incredibly impactful one for me. It, it opened my eyes in many ways for the first time to the kind of stark reality of poverty in this world, which can sometimes be, feel very distant uh, to us in the United States, uh, but also just gave me a love for, for the people there that I was able to, to spend time with in the Philippines. I went back again a few years later, and that's where I met my wife, Rochelle, on, on the next mission trip that she was on as well. And, uh, but, you know, there was one of the other things that happened um, on this first mission trip to me that was actually happened when we came back um, and had a sort of a debriefing time when we were back in the U.S. And at one of our, our group sessions, uh, the leaders said that we were going to have a special guest speaker. And guess who that speaker was? It was Viv Grigg, the guy who wrote this book that we had read in preparation for going. Um, and so he, he kind of spoke and shared a little bit about some of his experience. And, and after the talk, I, I went up to, to Viv um, to meet him because I thought, man, this was such a powerful um, thing, being able to meet this guy who had written this book that, that was so powerful. And uh, so I started to talk with him and he began to, he, he kind of just zeroed in on me and he began to ask these very specific questions about me and my life. He wanted to get to know me. Um, he started asking me about what I was studying and, and some of my passions. And, and then he began to speak about what he believed God was going to do in me. He began to speak about what he thought, the ways that God had gifted me and, and prepared me and, and, and how he was going to use me to minister to people. And I had never met this guy before, um, but it was like he could see into me and into my future in some ways, that, you know, that, that God sort of had given him this window into that. It was an encounter that changed me. It was an encounter that shaped me, um, even though it probably only lasted about five minutes, but, but it was such a powerful experience as this man saw me and spoke these words into me about what I think he believed God was wanting to do in my life. That encounter with, with Viv Grigg, it was, it was transformational. It was significant for me, but that encounter pales in comparison to what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, which is encounters that people have with Jesus. Um, we're going to be looking over these next few weeks in the season of Lent as we, as we approach Good Friday and Easter um, at encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking specifically at, at moments in the Gospel of John where Jesus reaches out and encounters different individuals and how he speaks into their life. Uh, because we see that in, in Jesus' ministry. Um, some of them, again, may have been fairly short encounters even that Jesus had, but, but they transformed the people who he encountered um, in powerful ways. And, uh, and the amazing thing is that as we look at these encounters of Jesus encountering different individuals, we're going to see that, that Jesus is 
going to be encountering us too. He's going to be encountering us through his word as, as we hear how he encounters these individuals as he then encounters us in our own lives. And we're going to be count- focusing again on, on these encounters recorded in John's gospel. Um, and many of them are only recorded in John's gospel. And so some of them, this is the only place where we see this particular encounter that Jesus had. And today we're going to be starting with one of the very first encounters that Jesus had um, that John writes about. Um, and the interaction that we're going to look at today, it highlights um, this idea of being found and seen. Found and seen. And that's my, my sermon title today. Um, we're going to be looking at how those themes kind of flesh out in this particular encounter that Jesus has um, with, with two um, future disciples of his, um, and how they also might speak into Jesus encountering us today. So our text today is from John chapter 1. And we'll be looking at verses 43 through 51. That's on page 751 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to to follow along. So John chapter 1, beginning with verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael. And told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as, uh, as we look at this moment where, Jesus, you were encountering Philip and Nathaniel, uh, we pray that you would encounter us today, Lord. Uh, that you would speak to us, God, through your word of how you are the God who who comes near to us, to find us, that you see us. And, uh, and so just give us ears to hear and, and hearts to receive uh, what you have for us today in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this encounter that Jesus has with Philip and Nathaniel, we're going to focus on what it teaches us also about how Jesus encounters us as well. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus finds us. That Jesus finds us. In, uh, in verse 43 of our text, we read, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Who is the actor in this verse? It's, it's first, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the first actor, right? He is, he is deciding to leave for Galilee, right? So he is deciding in his heart, right? And so he acts with purpose, right? He's going to go somewhere very particular. And then what does he do when he gets there? He finds Philip. So he is specifically going after this guy, Philip. And after finding him, he then calls Philip 
to follow him. We're going to see throughout these encounters over the next several weeks in, 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 in John's gospel that Jesus is constantly finding people. He is constantly going after people and finding them. Um, he is going out of his way to encounter individuals. Jesus takes the initiative. Um, and even in situations where, where the other person kind of approaches Jesus first, we often see that in reality, Jesus was actually the one drawing them to himself, sometimes even indirectly. Um, for example, we see in our text that, that Jesus doesn't go directly to find Nathaniel, but Philip does. Right? And, and so in verse 45, we read, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip finds Nathanael and he invites him to come and see Jesus for himself. And although Nathanael is the one that is kind of approaching Jesus as, as a result of Philip's invitation, Jesus then tells him that he saw Nathanael even before he was called by Philip. So, so Jesus had Nathanael in mind even before he met him. So Jesus actually found Nathanael too, but this time he found Nathanael through Philip. Right? He found Philip. And then Philip found Nathanael, but Jesus kind of found Nathanael through the witness and the invitation of Philip. You know, Jesus, he finds us too. He doesn't wait around for us to try to find him. Like he's hiding around, away from us. Like we have to kind of search for him. No, no, no. He is the actor. He takes the initiative. And it's a good thing that he does because we can't find Jesus on our own. We are lost on our own. In fact, the whole reason that Jesus came into this world was to find lost people, to find people who needed him. And, and, just, and today, just as, as Jesus found Nathaniel through the witness and invitation of Philip, he often finds us also through the witness and invitation of other people. Sometimes he finds us through someone else, kind of inviting us to come and see. You know, uh, my parents taught me about Jesus um, and his love for me when I was a child. And so Jesus found me through their witness, through their invitation for me to come and see about Jesus for myself. Uh, during my sophomore year of college, when I was dealing with some significant doubts and about God and about the Bible, as I was wrestling through questions and, and doubts, guess what? Jesus found me. He found me there through the witness and patient persistence of other Christian friends who helped me wrestle through those questions and doubts. So Jesus was using them to, to find me, to bring him, me, me back to himself. When I look back on my life, I can think of countless times where Jesus used someone to find me, to call me away from a sinful pattern in my life, or to remind me of his love and grace when I was feeling discouraged or ashamed, or to call me to, to look beyond myself when I was becoming wrapped up in self-centered thinking. You see, the reality is we need Jesus to keep finding us again and again, because on our own, we keep getting lost. And so that's why I'm so grateful that Jesus doesn't just find us once and then expect us to follow him perfectly from, from then on. You know, we even see this with these disciples, that, that Jesus finds Philip, he calls him to follow him, but then later on, Philip, along with all the other disciples, they end up abandoning Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested. 
But that doesn't stop Jesus. After his resurrection, what does Jesus do? He goes and finds them. He finds them again. This time, they're hiding behind locked doors, scared for their lives. But what does Jesus do? He comes into the room and he says, peace be with you. He proclaims grace to them, even in their abandonment. So Jesus finds them. He goes, again, he takes the initiative. He goes to find them and he calls them to follow him once more. And he does the same thing with us. How has Jesus found you in your life? How has Jesus found you? If you're here today or listening to this message, guess what? Jesus found you. He brought you here today, (laughs) whether you know it or not. Uh, He brought you here today to hear his word and to hear his invitation to you, come follow me. And maybe, maybe you've been feeling kind of lost in your life. Maybe you've been feeling kind of aimless and adrift. And maybe today Jesus is saying to you, I have come to find you. I've come to come near to you, to find you and rescue you and bring you back to myself. And maybe he's using someone else in your life as an instrument of bringing him to him, bringing you to himself. Like he used Philip to bring Nathaniel. Is there someone that that God's been using in your life to kind of bring you back to himself, to find you, call you to himself? You know, just as we think of, of people who Jesus has maybe used to find us, Jesus also wants to use us to find others. Um, notice that, that right after Jesus finds Philip, what does he do? He goes and finds Nathaniel. Right? right away, he's found by Jesus and he says, I need to go tell my friend Nathaniel to come over. And, and, and so there's something about encountering Jesus that makes you want to introduce him to other people too. Um, I remember having a conversation with one of the young adults uh, who was a part of the congregation that I pastored uh, back in Brooklyn before coming here. And, and in this conversation with him, he was sharing about some people who he had met recently who had grown up in some really difficult circumstances. And he, he could tell that, that they hadn't experienced much love in their families. Um, some of them were, were addicted to, to, to substance abuse. They're, they're addicted to drugs and they're looking for fulfillment in a string of relationships. And, and, and he told me as he was talking about these, these, these friends that, that he just really wanted them to know Jesus that he just knew that, that Jesus would make a difference in their lives. And because what, what had happened is that this friend, this young adult, he had come through a very similar background in his own life. And he saw clearly how Jesus had found him and rescued him from the path that he was heading down. And so because of that, guess what? He wanted to help other people get rescued by Jesus. He wanted to go find them so that Jesus would be able to, to find them. He wanted them to have the same experience he had. But sometimes... The idea of telling other people about Jesus can feel intimidating. Um, and we talked about this a little bit last Sunday, right? About, about sometimes we, we're, we're kind of undercover Christians where we don't really want to let people know that, that we're a believer. Or maybe we're sort of isolated Christians. We, we're just kind of in a Christian bubble. And, and so there's things that kind of keep us sometimes from reaching out and, and sharing about Jesus with others. Um, sometimes maybe we wonder, like, if they ask me a question or, or they respond with an objection that, that what if happens if I don't know how to answer them? I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, what, if, what if they reject me or, uh, or mock me for believing in Jesus? Well, guess what? That's basically how Nathaniel responded when Philip found him, right? In verse 46, Nathaniel said to Philip, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Right? So as soon as, as soon as Philip goes and finds, you got to find, you got to come see this guy. He's amazing. This Jesus, we, we, and he says, Nazareth, 
Is any, can anything good come from there? How could the Messiah, the one who we've been waiting for, come from this little, tiny, insignificant town called Nazareth? But you know what? Instead of arguing with Nathaniel and trying to persuade him, right? Like, well, let me explain exactly why it's possible that the Messiah could come from Nazareth. And what does he do? He simply says, come and see. He says, come and see. You don't think anything? Come and see for yourself. Come and see this Jesus. Philip invites Nathaniel to meet Jesus for himself. And that's really what we're called to do is to invite people to simply come and see. We're not the ones that, that, that convert anybody. We're not the ones that, that have to it, it persuade someone. We just say, come and see. Come and see this Jesus. This Jesus. Because Jesus wants to encounter them too. And so somehow Nathaniel, he decides, all right, I'm going to come and see. I'm going to check out who this guy really is. He decides to go along with Philip to see for himself. And when Nathaniel meets Jesus we see the second aspect of what happens when Jesus encounters us. So he, he finds us. And then the next thing we see is that Jesus sees us. He sees us. In verse 47, we read, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, now first of all, Jesus literally sees Nathanael approaching him. Right? He sees him. But his comment about Nathaniel shows that he sees him in a deeper kind of way. He sees Nathaniel's identity. He sees Nathaniel's heart. He sees that Nathaniel is someone who tells it like it is. He's someone who just kind of, he's sincere, he's honest, there's no deceit in him, right? That there's, he just kind of, he, he wears things on his sleeve, right? He just tells it like it is. And you kind of see that from his response to Philip, right? Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And he just, tell, he speaks his mind. He says what, what, what comes to him. And so when, when Nathaniel, you know, remember, Nathaniel had never met Jesus before. And so when, when Jesus makes this comment about him, you know, here's this Israelite, and there's no deceit. He kind of sees into him. Nathaniel replies in verse 48, how do you know me? Now, once again, Nathaniel speaks his mind here, right? How do you know me? How do you know who I am? Now, it's kind of a funny response, right? Um, it's it's kind of like a, a stranger comes up to you and says, hey, you seem to be the smartest, most good-looking person in this room. You say, how do you know me, right? How do you know that, that, that that's, that's who I am? <laughs> but, but I think that actually in this scene, Nathaniel's surprise is actually genuine. That, that somehow he sees that this man, Jesus, knows something about his character even before having met him. That he knows that, that he's a direct guy who tells it like it is, who just kind of speaks his mind. But then Jesus shows him that he really sees him. When he goes even further in verse 48, he says, Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So Jesus shows Nathaniel that, that he saw him even before he met him. Even before he had this encounter, that Jesus saw him. He saw his situation before Philip even said anything about Jesus to him. When, as we look at the encounters that Jesus has with different individuals in John's gospel over the next few weeks, we're going to see that Jesus sees them too. That he actually sees into their hearts that he sees their condition before they even say anything to him. And here's the thing. The same is true for us. 
Jesus sees us. He knows us. He sees deeply into it. He, he sees us wherever we are. Later in, in John's gospel, Jesus compares himself to, to a shepherd, to the good shepherd. And he says this about himself. He says, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus knows your name. He knows you more intimately than you even know yourself. He sees you. He knows you. Now, now, this can be a comforting thought in some ways because that Jesus sees us, that he, he knows us. But also, if we're honest, it can also be kind of a terrifying thought because we know some of the things that we've said. We know some of the things that we've done. And, and, and all the things, we, we all have things that we wish that Jesus couldn't and didn't see in us. You know, I wish that when Jesus looked at me, he would say, here is Andy in whom there is no deceit. But... But I know that's not true. <laughs> that, that, to be honest, there is sometimes that in me. You know, in fact, in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, we read, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? That God's word tells us that, that our hearts are actually deceitful, that, that, that our hearts sometimes lie, you know, whether, whether we want to admit it or not, that that our hearts don't want to always tell it like it is to be straight. That oftentimes our hearts are, are, are trying to make excuses for our sin or, or sort of trying to explain it away and, and justify ourselves. But, but as deceitful as our hearts may be, Jesus sees the truth. He sees our sin even when we don't want to admit it. He, he sees the idols in our lives and, and he sees us when no one else is looking. He sees not only our actions and our words, but he even sees our thoughts. He sees our attitudes and he sees the things that we hope and wish that no one else would, would ever know about us. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He sees all of that and he still loves us. He doesn't turn his back on us. He doesn't look at us with disgust when he sees those parts of us. He doesn't condemn us. He actually looks at us with compassion and mercy. Now, how is that possible? How can Jesus see the deepest, darkest parts of us and still love us? Well, the full answer to that question comes much later in the Gospel of John. But here in chapter 1, after Jesus tells Nathanael that he saw him under the fig tree, Verses 49 and 50 tell us, Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. See, here in this, in this early encounter with Jesus, Philip and Nathanael, they witness Jesus' ability to see and know much more than a normal man could see or know. And that prompted Nathanael to proclaim this, this faith, right? Wow, Jesus, you are the son of God. You are, you're the king of Israel. You, know, you saw me at the fig tree when you didn't even, you never met me before, but you knew that I was there. And, but then Jesus says, you will see greater things than that. Part of what he's saying here is that, you know, he's literally going to see some amazing miracles in, in the course of Jesus' ministry. But here's the thing. When Jesus says you are going to see greater things than that, he's also speaking about the greatest thing that he was going to do. 
He had come not just to do amazing miracles to reveal his power, but he came to accomplish the amazing task of dealing with our sin, of dealing with our deceitful hearts once and for all. He came to give us new life. He came to wash us clean. He came to give us sight to our spiritually blind eyes. He came ultimately to raise us from the dead. And each of those things that I just explained there, they're all things that we're going to see in the coming weeks that Jesus does for people as he encounters them, that we're going to see that this is the exact same thing that Jesus does for us. We're going to see how each of these encounters that Jesus has in this gospel point to these different things, these different aspects of what Jesus was ultimately going to accomplish on the cross. And we actually see a, a hint towards this in the final verse of our text. Because Jesus says, you will see greater things than these. Right? And then in verse 51, he says, he then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, at first glance, it looks like Jesus is predicting that, that the disciples will actually have this sort of vision of angels ascending and descending on him, the Son of Man. But there's no record of this kind of literal sort of vision happening later in Jesus' ministry. So, so what is Jesus talking about here? Well, what Jesus is actually doing is he's quoting from the Old Testament, he, the, the, the phrase, it has actually quoted, it has quotes around it in the NIV. Uh, it says, heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. It's a quote from the scripture that Daniel read earlier from Genesis 28. In Genesis 28, Jacob has this dream of a stairway reaching to heaven. And what's happening on that stairway? Angels are ascending and descending on the stairway. And, and so Jesus uses the exact same language that we see in Genesis 28, but, but who is he talking about there? Right? In Genesis 28, it's a stairway. What does Jesus say that where are those angels descending on here? They're ascending and descending on him. On him. Jesus puts himself in the place of the stairway. Jesus places himself exactly what the stairway was in this vision that Jacob had. And, you know, there are, there are different interpretations of what Jesus is saying here, but, but you can't help but notice that that's what Jesus is doing, right? He's putting himself right in the place of the stairway to heaven. And so instead of angels ascending and descending on the stairway here, they are doing it on the Son of Man. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, guess what? The greater thing that you're going to see is that I am the stairway. I am the stairway to heaven. I am, the st I am as, as John proclaims that Jesus said later on in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I am the way. The greater thing that you're going to see, Philip and Nathaniel, is that I am going to create this way, this connection to the Father, to heaven, that I am the stairway. Jesus came to open up that stairway through his own body sacrificed on the cross, not just a stairway for angels, but, but for heaven itself to come down to earth and for all of us sinners with deceitful hearts to be brought up to heaven on him, the stairway with new and clean hearts. So as we begin this, this new series 
um, during the season of Lent, leading up to Good Friday and Easter, here's my invitation for you. Come and see. Come and see what Jesus is wanting to do as he encounters us through the Gospel of John over these coming weeks. Come and see the greater things that Jesus wants to show us. Jesus wants to encounter each and every one of us. He came to find us. He came to see us, and ultimately he came to save us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have come to find us, that, that Lord, when we uh, get lost and that you don't wait for us to come and find you, but you come to us, Lord. And maybe even today you've been doing that, Lord, even through your word, through this, this, this message today, that you've been, you've been coming to find different people who are here, Lord. You're, you're finding us. You're bringing us out of wherever we've been trapped, wherever we've been lost. And that you're the, you're the God who does. You come to find us and to draw us near and that you see us, Lord. You see deep within us, Lord. You see us. You know us. And we thank you that, that, that even though you see the, the darker parts of us, you see the, the deceitful hearts that we sometimes have, you see the, the things that we wish that you didn't see, Lord, that even as you see it, you proclaim to us, Lord, that you, you see it all and yet you still love us and that you have given us your forgiveness and your grace in full and free and that you did it, Lord, because you are the one who came to be that stairway to connect us to the Father, to connect us to heaven, Lord, that you're the one who came to offer your body on the cross and to rise again to new life, to open that way so that we could know that no matter what our hearts may have inside, Lord, that you offer us forgiveness and cleansing and freedom and life. And so we pray, Lord, that even today you would help us, give us the faith to trust that you're this God, that you're this God who has done everything for us to be forgiven and cleansed, and that you see even our, 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 our pain and our, our heartache, Lord, in moments where that you see it, you know it, Lord. And you invite us to come to you, to come and see, Lord, the ways that you want to minister to us. And so I pray that you would speak that word even to individuals today who need to hear that, Jesus, that you see them. And that you have come to find them. And that you are inviting them to come and see the kind of God that you are. And what you're wanting to do in their lives, Lord. Help us to come to you as you draw us to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.